Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. Do you know how much funding women of color get to start their businesses from venture capital? According to USA Today, it's less than 1%. It's hard to be an entrepreneur. It's even harder when you realize you're working within a system that is stacked against you. Today's guest has a solution to this inequality and amazing tips for women of color starting businesses. She'll take you through the process of crowdfunding and pitching with educational tools and best practices for entrepreneurs and creatives who are starting a business. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we'll explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, spirituality, and everything it means to be a human and become more human. And before I get into my little further introduction of the guests, I want to say today is actually my birthday. Yes, today I'm turning 33. It's my Jesus year, honey buns. And to start my Jesus year, I want to share with you that I moved into a brand new condo. It's the first time in a decade I've lived in anything bigger than a one bedroom. Every day I wake up and I'm pinching myself. I took a bath in a bathtub today that I didn't even have to choose between whether my knees got wet or my boobs got wet. You know, like when you're in a bathtub, usually you have to choose like, okay, is it going to be my chest or my knees that get to be fully submerged? This one is a full submerged situation. And I just want to take a moment to express extreme gratitude to God, to uh, the universe, to 10 years in LA grinding away. And yeah, it's a big moment. And also I wanted to tell you all this because this whole place has wood floors, which is really beautiful and cool, but also not the best for audio. So you're probably hearing a little bit of an echo right now. Welcome to my new home. And thank you for supporting me on my journey because you're a big part of helping me get here. Oh, and and by the way, I mentioned it's my Jesus year because that year is supposed to be a year that you come into yourself and like really follow your soul's purpose. So we'll be tracking that through the year as we go along. Maybe I'll even get an expert on to talk about your Christ year because I think it's kind of a cool thing. And um, for any 20-somethings listening, the 20s are so brutal. And you think that you're supposed to have it all figured out and you have nothing figured out. And if that feels like you, I just want to let you know you're exactly where you're meant to be. The 30s are still hard, but you kind of, you know who you are more. You know how to set boundaries. You know where you're going and you don't feel like you're shadow boxing as much. And every year I feel like I'm on more and more solid footing. I definitely have my moments. Don't get me wrong. You hear some of them on the show, but yeah, I'm really excited to see what this year brings me. And again, so grateful for you. I don't know if you have followed my Instagram stories, but the podcast has had some of its biggest weeks ever in the past couple of weeks. And so if you're new here, 
Thank you for joining our creative community. I love you and adore you. And I hope this show serves you to help you achieve your dreams because, honey, you deserve it all. So without further ado, let's get to today's guest. Her name is Olivia Owens. She's a wonderful, incredible woman. I absolutely was just so blown away by her when we did the interview. Um, she's a founder of iFund Women of Color. Olivia started at a company called iFund Women in 2017, and that's when she got inspired by a surprising statistic. The platform, iFund Women, raises money for female entrepreneurs, and actually 70% of the women on the platform are women of color. But Olivia found out that only 30% of the funds being raised were actually going to women of color. So with that knowledge, she decided to make a difference. She took the entrepreneur route, which means she developed her business idea within the existing company to make what is now known as iFund Women of Color. This platform raises capital for women of color through crowdfunding, grants, coaching, and connections, and it helps them launch and grow their businesses. One year after creating iFund Women of Color, Women of Color represented 51% of all funds raised on the platform. Olivia's ingenuity also landed her on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, and she's here today to tell you how she did it all and give you insider tips to crowdfunding success, the best way to test your business idea, how to find your funding resource, and even mental health tips for entrepreneurs, which is so necessary because anyone who is starting a creative venture knows it can be really lonely and taxing on you mentally, so it's helpful to have those tips. If you need advice about how to fund and test your business ideas, grow and tap into your network, or if you just want to learn how to support others and be supported as an entrepreneur, this episode is for you. Now here she is, Olivia Owens. Okay. Well, Olivia, first of all, I love that you're Olivia Owens. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. We're two alliterative women repping it here. And uh, I just think you have such an incredible journey. You're so wise and you have so much to share. So thank you for being on Unleash Your Inner Creative. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to jump in. Me too. So I read a bunch of articles. I, I stalked you in order to do this interview. And uh, you're just, like I said, incredible. But it was also really cool to see that you come from a lineage of being an entrepreneur and supporting entrepreneurs. So um, I read that your mom, you grew up watching your mom as an entrepreneur. I'm wondering how seeing her take this bold step toward her own financial freedom affected your journey and your choices. To its core. Uh, it has definitely defined who I am. I think watching my mom take the wealth of expertise that she learned while working in the financial investments industry and decide that she wanted to help empower other Black women to build wealth by investing their money was such a powerful statement and such a an amazing representation of what is possible in this world when you have a passion, when you have an expertise and, and a desire to help other people. Um, I think after I started out my career, it gave me the confidence to take a leap. Yeah. I spent three years in the HR industry uh, living in Baltimore. And then I, I've always known I wanted to live in New York. And it really helped give me that confidence that you can do big, bold things and land on your feet and also bring other people up along with you on that journey. How did you get the confidence? I mean, I know you said you relied on your mom, but like, what was the inciting incident to say, like, I need to make this huge shift? I think unfortunately for many people that comes when you hit rock bottom 
<laughs> when you hit a point where you're like, I just can't take this anymore. Something has to change. I was very fortunate to have a support system in not just my mom, but also my brother who was already living in New York. And so he was like, quit the job, move here. We're going to make it happen. Um, so having that support system was huge, but also I had a process of defining for myself what I was looking for in making a sleep. Mm. I didn't come to New York with a specific job title in mind or a specific company in mind. I knew that my purpose in this world is to help people become a better version of themselves. And that gives me the flexibility to evaluate a bunch of different opportunities that map back to that driving mission for me. Um, And so I think once I had defined that for myself, it, it became a lot easier as well. That's so powerful because one thing I'm always advising people on the show is like people, I think, confuse passion and purpose a lot of the time. For me, passion is, and I'm curious about what your definition is, but for me, passion is the things that you love to do. Mm -hmm. So it could be writing, it could be singing, it could be helping women start businesses, but purpose is like that thesis statement for your life. And so I think it's so powerful that you define that thesis statement and then let the opportunities filter through there. How did you get to the point where you understood that's what your purpose was? I think when I, if I were to look back on anything that I got excited about, I led the POMS team in, in high school. I took on a bunch of different leadership opportunities and in, in different groups that I was a part of. And all of that leadership was mapping back to how am I helping other people? How am I supporting other people? And then just in my relationships, that's who I am. I'm the person mm-hmm. that people go to, not when they're looking for necessarily the cheerleader, but when they're looking for the person that's going to tell them the truth, that's me. And the truth with love and kindness and, and and the belief in them. Um, and so I think that I, I tend to be a very um, self-reflective person. And so I think just spending a lot of time reflecting on mm-hmm. what gets me excited and where do I see myself having the most impact? I think it was the combination of those two things. And something you talk about on your Instagram, I've seen it at least a couple of times is allowing yourself to be helped. Mm. And it's really hard when you're a doer, when you're a coach, when you're a cheerleader for other people to allow people to then, first of all, just like take up for you, but then on the next level, shine the spotlight on you. Where are you at in your journey with that? I am an extreme work in progress. Um, I think same, same. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think there's a destination in this particular journey. I think as we grow and develop every new level is new challenges, new obstacles, new things you didn't even know you needed to be worried about um, that come up and you're like, okay, yeah, I can't handle this on my own. It's unreasonable for me to ask myself to do that. And I think the more I practice, the easier it gets. It's still really hard. I remember um, reading Glennon Doyle's book Untamed. And in there, she talks about how there's no such thing as one-way liberation. When you free yourself, you inherently free other people. And Mm. when you think about what it's like to ask for help and, and how excited you get when somebody else asks you for help and they give you the opportunity to show up for them and make an impact. It's like, don't hold other people uh, back from the opportunity to support you because that adds value to them as well. And I think when I'm able to flip it into that perspective, it, it becomes a little bit easier. And then when I do it in practice and see it actually play out that way and see how my friends are like, absolutely, I'll, I'll do that. Or um, if it's my family, absolutely, I'll do that. And, and the life that it brings them to show up for me, I think that helps me go a little deeper in that asking for support. 
Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's just so interesting because like the thing I'm struck by right now in life is that everything is the same everywhere. It's just wearing a different mask or a different piece of clothing. Yes. And so when you're saying that, it reminds me of like something that I think of so often, or at least that I hear people tell entrepreneurs or creatives that are pitching. It's that you're also, while you're asking for something, you're also giving them the opportunity to invest in an amazing product that First of all, like they'll feel really good when it goes huge. But second of all, they could be making a lot of money. And so it's like, it's just interesting. I think it's just life gives us endless opportunities to learn our lessons. It does. And uh, my friends and I always talk about if you don't learn it here, it'll show up again for you to learn it later. Um, And so I think when we do uh, allow ourselves to experience that lesson, live that lesson, it becomes easier in the long run because it is so cyclical. Yeah. Lessons are boomerangs like that. Mm-hmm. So tell me about iFund Women and iFund Women of Color. What was your journey like? So you're like, I'm taking the leap. I know I want to help people become their best selves. What was the moment from realizing that thesis statement to stepping into this incredible role? Yes. Well, there was a solid six month path of having no idea and questioning if I made the right decision and and all of that. I remember during that period, it was probably like month five after I made the move. uh, And I was starting to think, I don't know about this. I don't know if this was the the right way to approach it. And I read this book called Three Feet from Gold. Um, It just talks about how you shouldn't stop digging because you could just be three feet from gold. And it, it couldn't have been more relevant to uh, where I was in that moment. And my mom actually crowdfunded on iFundWomen, which is how I initially found out about it. She was like, you have to meet the founder. She's amazing. And so um, I was able to meet Karen Khan, the founder of iFundWomen. It was still in its first year and they were looking for somebody to come and do some social media support for them. And I was like, let's do it. Um, I'm down. And I just remember not even at that moment, knowing that this was the path for me. It was just something I was doing at that time. And then uh, a few months later, I was offered the first full-time role outside of the, the co-founders on the team. But for anybody who's unfamiliar with iFundWomen, iFundWomen is the go-to funding marketplace for women-owned businesses and the people who want to support them with access to capital, coaching, and connections. And really, our number one mission is to close the funding gap for women entrepreneurs. We provide access to capital through crowdfunding and grants. We do business coaching. We have a community. Really, all of the different components that go into helping women launch and grow successful businesses, that's what we're doing on our platform. And can anyone get involved? Like, is there a paywall? Like, how does it work? Any woman get involved? Or is it women and female identifying people? Yes, absolutely. We also do not exclude men. Men are more than welcome to come and crowdfund on iFund Women. But there is no paywall. If you want to go on iFund Women, create a project and raise capital, you can do that. We highly recommend investing in the coaching because you don't learn crowdfunding anywhere else. First of all, there's so many myths and misconceptions about it, who can do it and what goes into it. And we've built out an entire method. It's a four-step method for helping entrepreneurs prep, launch, and execute successful campaigns. We have a free crowdfunding e-course if you're if you're that kind of learner. But we we have the coaching component to it because we know that the, the people who invest in the coaching are more successful just because 
the strategy side of it. There's so much that goes into it, but you also see that a lot of the work that goes into prepping for crowdfunding campaigns parallels to laying the foundation of your business. It's creating your pitch. It's mapping your network. Who am I going to be able to reach for this? It's creating a reward strategy. What are the products, services, content experiences that you can sell in exchange for cash? And then it's your marketing strategy. How are you going to get it out there? How are you going to get people Mm. to convert? So a lot of that is so foundational to what you need to be doing for your business anyway. This exercise just has the happy win of funding at the end of it. Yeah. And I think that's so brilliant because a lot of creatives take like the first two steps or the first three steps, but then they forget like, oh my God, I have to market it and then figure out how to get it out there. And I love that you're giving those tools and also even telling people that these are the steps because you could have the best idea in the world, but if you don't know how to create it and get it out to the masses and make people convert, it doesn't matter. You also, you mentioned that like you have tips for best practices, I definitely think people should go to the website, invest in the coaching, do the e-course. But if you had to give like one or two hot and dirty tips on best practices when it comes to crowdfunding, what would they be? I can give all of the tips. Um, And I still recommend the coaching uh, because the accountability there is also super supportive. But I mean, when it comes to, I think a piece that you touched on there is the beauty of crowdfunding and the reason why we are so dogmatic about it being the first stop on every founder's funding journey is because it allows you to prove demand for your product or service before you invest in supply. I think that you can have a really great idea, but you don't have a business until people are willing to pay for the thing that you have. And instead of spending years and years of your life, thousands of your own dollars to make this thing perfect, crowdfunding is a low risk way to put it out there and see not only are people interested in this thing, but are they willing to pay for it? And here's a vehicle where they can do that. And I can really test that out. Um, And so when it comes to tips, I think first and foremost, it's getting clear on what it is that you're crowdfunding for. Crowdfunding isn't a tool that's going to help you fund the next five years of your business, but it can help you get over the obstacle that's in front of you right now. And I think so often we don't even know exactly what that obstacle is. So whether that's building out your prototype, whether that's launching your community, whether that's manufacturing the first line of your product, opening a physical space, there are so many different reasons to crowdfund, but you really have to define that for yourself and then figure out, okay, well, what's the minimum I need to raise to fund that thing? We could all use $100,000 for our businesses, but that's likely not what you need to get to the next step. And so clarifying that is going to help set you up for success in the long run because raising 10, 15, thousand dollars is a massive feat. Um, and so if you are really clear on what you're going to use that ten, fifteen thousand dollars for, it's going to be that much easier for you to hit that goal. That's such great advice. And I was thinking about that because I've been, you know, running my little side hustles. I don't want to say little running my yes. growing side hustles for a while now. And it's like, I'm finally in a place where I'm at least like taking in the money that I'm spending, which feels great. But it's like a constant slog. And I was just thinking, God, like $10,000 even would help so much because even I think seeing that number in your bank account does something to you mentally. Absolutely. It helps you know you have a foundation and that you're not going to have to constantly be spinning your wheels to keep whatever shaky foundation you have. Such great advice. Okay. So we can say you're the, one of the founding members of mm-hmm. I fund women, but something interesting happened as you were working on it and you came to realize, I think the number was, was it 60 or 70% of your population was women of color? 70%, 70%, but they were only getting 30% of the funding. Yep. 
And so what happened next? Yes. Um, I mean, we see a similar funding disparity play out across other funding options, of course. And we said not on our watch. This is something that we can impact. This is something that we can address. And so in January of 2020, I launched iFund Women of Color, which is a program dedicated to advancing BIPOC founders and address the unique obstacles that we face when it comes to launching and growing businesses and and even more specifically crowdfunding. We did some research with Caress uh, earlier this year and what was it? It was 60% of women of color stated that they didn't feel comfortable crowdfunding for their business. And and that's really where the obstacle lies. It's getting women of color off the sideline to participate in crowdfunding, understand how it can work for them, um, and, and then allow them to leverage the method to win. But it's getting them off the sidelines that, that we wanted to do and accelerate them. Um, and so we launched with Cress as our founding partner with a $1 million investment. In this past year, we ran the Cress Dreams Reality Fund, where we took 150 women of color through a program to help them prep, launch, and execute successful campaigns. Caress was the first funder of their campaign, um, and they got coaching scholarships, They and they got to do it in community. Mm. Week in and week out, we were in a space talking about the anxieties, talking about the fears, talking about, but also talking about the things that work and, and, and sharing expertise. I think one of my biggest things is there's this scarcity fallacy that we've been sold where if one person gets there, we have to gatekeep it because uh, there can only be one. And the reality is we're cutting ourselves out before the system even can, if we're taking yeah. that approach. Well, that's what the system wants us to do. Exactly. I think it does come from like, you know, people were afraid they were going to die. Yes. So they, the system told them that the only way you could survive is to continue to shut other people out. But it's funny because we could have overthrown everything a long time ago if we just realized that we're all in this together. Exactly. And, and that's the key. It's how can we leverage each other to get further faster? That's what we're doing in this in this platform. And so in the first year of iPhone Women of Color, we moved the needle on the cumulative funding volume. Women of Color now represent 51% of the funds raised on the platform. And I think that's just such a testament to we see these massive systemic issues and we're like, where do we even begin? And we feel like we're at the bottom of a mountain and I'm just really excited to see that all we had to do was listen to the women in our community, hear them out in terms of why something isn't working for them, and then create a solution that addresses exactly that. So I love that you did that. And, and you're just such a great example of change actually can be pretty logical and straightforward. Like you just need to make the change. I'm a big logic girl. <laughs> yeah. But like, okay. So I don't know what the current venture capital numbers are. And for anyone that doesn't know, that's like basically like the fancy term for big, big investors. Mm-hmm. And I know that when I was working with girl boss radio, it was 2% of all funding went toward women. And of that, it was 0.08% toward women of color. I don't know if that's a current stat. Yeah, it's uh, it's 0.64 is Black and Latinx founders. Um, and yeah, about 2% still for women entrepreneurs. Why won't they just do what you did? Like, what can we do to encourage them to get their shit together? <laughs> it's, it's such a massive problem. There's not one quick fix. There's not one silver bullet that will fix this thing. And when you, when you look at it, even, even bringing more diversity into who are 
venture capitalists. Then they're beholden to their firm and investment thesis. And that's all based on pattern matching for what drove success in the past. And and then you get to the wealth gap. There's there's so much that plays into that issue. But the other stat that we always highlight is only 1% of companies, regardless of the gender of the founder, raise venture capital. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another example where if only one story of success is being told, then everybody is deluded to believe that they're not winning. But if only 1% of businesses are raising venture capital, then that's not the example. That's the minority, not the majority. Um, and so read a defining for ourselves what a successful business truly is and and what your end goal for your business is is really quick growth and and massive return something you're looking for or are you trying to build something that you can continue to run years and years down the line something that could be a legacy for your family and based on that then venture capital doesn't make sense for you anyway mm-hmm. um and so i think once we're able to tell different stories about what success looks like, it allows us to take this unrealistic pressure off ourselves for a funding resource that just doesn't make sense for the majority. That really resonates. I mean, I think, I know you weren't exactly talking about this, but recently I'm also a musician outside of like podcasting and producing and all that. And I recently heard that only 21% of all music played on the radio is female artists. Wow. And that in some stations, it's like, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's against the rules to play two female artists back to back. What? Yeah, that's a thing. And it's especially bad in country, country music. And when you hear, yes, when you hear something like that, you're like, oh, do you ever just like forget that you're actually working against shit? I'm like, why am I not succeeding more? (laughs) What's wrong with me? And then I'm like, oh, like there are actually systems put in place to stop me. Yes. Yeah, it just really resonated. Like, I don't know why, but but remembering that helped me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I appreciate that you're pointing out the power you do have, but also acknowledging like what is literally sacked against you. And I think that acknowledgement is key because I think the the other piece is women of color are tired of being told you need more mentorship. You need you need more education. And it's just like, no, give me funding. Right. And and so I think that acknowledgement is also just so validating of it's not it's not that you're not enough. And like how much of our lives do we go through thinking we're not enough? We're not doing enough. We're not working hard enough. We're not we're just not there. And I think that the acknowledgement of like, no, you're working really hard um, in a system that doesn't want you to win, but here's some alternative paths that you can take. uh, That makes it a holistic conversation rooted in reality. Yeah. And that you had a quote and I can't remember the publication it was, but you said, I definitely think there's a sentiment that black women are over mentored and underfunded. And I think to your point that what you just said, it resonates so deeply because I even feel like there's a thing with like everyone on social media is like support black women, support black women. It's like, what are you actually doing in your day to day life in the power roles you do have to support black women, to support women of color? I feel like, again, this is one of those things that, yes, it's there's a literal thing here where you're not getting the money you deserve for the businesses you're creating, but there's also this deep societal impact with this statement. Absolutely. And, and that goes to the, the connections piece. Another piece of the research that we did with Caress, seven out of 10 women of color entrepreneurs said that support from their peers was very important for their business, but two in five felt disconnected from other women of color entrepreneurs and 
don't have a network to collaborate with. And like, that's how these systems are working through networks. So-and-so knows so-and-so and and here's the opportunity. And so I think when we talk about what does it look like to support women of color entrepreneurs, yes, it's the funding. Yes, it's the tools and resources, but also it's, it's the opportunity to be in the rooms or to speak on their behalf if they're not in the room. Um, it's if you're speaking on a panel and you see that it's all white men or all white people and there's no person of color represented it's saying hey I don't actually think my voice needs to be heard here here's a list of people who I think could better take my place um it's things like that and then they're getting the visibility then it's something on their resume and and it's it's things like that that take little to no (laughs) effort yeah um and is no skin off of your own back but can have such a massive impact for somebody else um and I just don't think examples of how that can be done are talked about enough. I think that there's just that you're not doing enough help, 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 support, support, support. But the how is so critical in terms of actually seeing people take action. And I think that a lot of people have the best intentions um, and want to do things, but they just don't know how. Mm -hmm. I remember when George Floyd happened and uh, I grew up in a predominantly white community. A lot of my friends are white and we never had to have kind of those hard conversations. And I remember many of them reaching out to me and saying, Hey, I don't know what to do. And a, I, it gave me the opportunity to say, me either. Right. <laughs> like, I don't have the answers. Um, I can tell you uh, my, my lived experience. Um, you can do the research on your own. You can talk to other people um, in, in your community and see what they're doing. But I think just being mad that people aren't doing something isn't enough. I think giving them a how is so critical. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what I find women really represents. Like it's, you're passionate about supporting small businesses. You're passionate about supporting women entrepreneurs, women of color entrepreneurs. Here's a very clear vehicle um, where you can do that, fund their business, buy something. Right, buy something. That That's kind of my soapbox right now too, is like, it's so easy to actually support someone. It could be telling a friend about the product. It could be buying something really small. It could be sharing about it on your socials. Like whatever it is, If everyone in your network did that for one thing that you're pursuing, we would all have such shorter paths and be able to be happier and have a kinder, more prosperous world. Just do it. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really important. So, okay, you built this part of the business from the ground up. It's beautiful. There's so many amazing moments when you're building a business, but there's also really, really painful ones and frustrating and messy ones. So would you be open to sharing one of the painful or messy moments and how you got through it? That's a good question. I think when you're building a business, so often you're going in based off of a hypothesis that you have. And I think that once you start building the business and you build the community, then your community starts telling you what they need and, and and what they'd like to see. And sometimes that's counter to the initial hypothesis that you set out to do. Um, And I think it's having that flexibility to say, okay, yeah, I started this thing, but now it's kind of growing into something different than what I initially thought. I think that's a part of business. And I think for me as an entrepreneur, really, um, at iPhone. What does that mean? 
basically I, I created a business inside of a business. So doing that inside of iFund Women, I think that there have been moments where I started out with a certain hypothesis of what I wanted to be doing and needs kind of changed. And as time goes on, you change. And I think for me, it, it was just there were many moments where I was like, I don't know that this is where I need to be. I started off as the marketing manager. Then I moved to business development. And then I was able to create iPhone Women of Color. And I think like the biggest challenge for me in that initial switch was like, is there a place for me here based on what the need of the business is? And I'm so fortunate to have a leader who doesn't hire people based on how they can serve the business, but based on who they are and the value that they bring. So um, I was able to pivot throughout in a way that I don't think people always get the opportunity to. And so I think that the challenging times are the times where you're like, okay, I've been doing this thing. I've been grinding, I've been hustling, but like something's out of alignment. And that doesn't always mean you have to leave um, if you're in the right space, if you're in the space that, that creates the opportunity for it. But I think that also goes down to like, being vulnerable and saying when it's not working anymore and and being willing to deal with whatever the consequence of that statement is. And you said that to Karen, you're like, listen, this role doesn't really work for me. I still love what we're doing, but I need to do something different. Exactly. Wow. You're so brave. (laughs) How sure were you that she was going to say, okay, let's figure something else out. Not sure at all. Uh, The first time, not sure at all not sure at all. And I'm, there was also a parallel to like, I didn't know what the other side of it was. I I knew that I, I wasn't passionate in this area. It wasn't something that I wanted to keep doing, but I didn't even have clarity around what I wanted to ask for. Um, So how powerful is it? Somebody who's willing to do that work with you to help get you to the right point. Yeah. I feel like that's the only kind of bosses that should exist. And unfortunately for way too long, it's been people who are not even remotely like that. But if you're going to be a leader, be a leader. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's awesome. I just love how much she's also empowered you to go after your own dreams. And it's obviously paid off because you were just on the Forbes 30 under 30. Yes. Crazy. Absolutely insane. It's powerful to be supported by somebody whose level of belief in you is more than what you even have in yourself. I think that I've grown to that, that level of self-belief, but especially in those, in those years post-college where you're questioning everything about your identity um, and your capacity having a support system like that is, is like none other. And so, yeah, I think if you are, looking for a strong leader, I would look for examples of what they've done for other people who have been supported by them and what opportunity they created for those people. Mm. What does it feel like to be on the Forbes 30 under 30 list? <laughs> I'm still processing. It only happened a week ago. I, I I didn't even know it happened. Somebody emailed me and was like, oh my God, I saw you on the list. And I was like, huh? <laughs> um, it's, I don't know when I'll process it, but I will say a a lot of what I've been talking about is one of my favorite podcasts um, by Carl Lowenthal talks about this idea of perfectionist fantasies and how we will set up 
these goals for ourselves that are just completely unreasonable. For example, like if you're trying to get into shape, then it's like, okay, I'm going to exercise five days a week. It's like, you're exercising zero times right now. Why do you think five times is going to be achievable, sustainable? That's unreasonable. And I think for me, a lot of what I do is keep my head down, grind it out, keep working. And I think hitting this list after getting women of color to 51% of funding um, was a moment of like, it was enough. <laughs> like, yeah. like the work that you put in was enough and valuable. And I think that especially when you're just operating in your own bubble, that outside recognition for, for what you're doing is just, it's overwhelming um, and beautiful and exciting and feels like just the beginning of so much, but I am very grateful, very honored to have been recognized. Well, it's well-deserved. I, I want to know something though, because, you know, we've all achieved some milestones and there's a real, when you do have that perfectionist thing, there's a real feeling of racing to the next thing. It's like, okay, that's great. What's next? I know you said it was enough, but what are you doing to make sure you sit in what this means and what it means about what you've been doing. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know that I have the understanding of what it means. You know, like you, you hear people's bios and it's like Forbes 30 under 30, like nominated, whatever, whatever. And, but the opportunity just continues. It's a, uh, it's a true catalyst. And so I think so much of that journey is just going to be seeing the opportunities that come um, from beyond this, but also just keeping the main thing, the main thing, like my mission, help people become a better version of themselves. If I can continue to apply that, um, then I'm going to keep going to in the direction that I want to go. Because I think one of the things that I always talk about with entrepreneurship is there's, there's this shiny object syndrome where you're, you're just like, Oh, another thing. Oh, another thing. And it's like, how are you distilling all of the shiny objects into things that serve a purpose for you. And and that's your number one responsibility. So I think keeping the main thing, the main thing, but also just being open and excited to whatever this catalyst brings my way. Mm, That's the best way to deal with it. I think don't put it on a pedestal. You know, it's like, it seems like that's what you're doing. Cause I think so many of us have in our heads, like I'll do this and I'll be happy when blank. And then you're never happy when ever exactly when never comes. Exactly. No, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think that that concept of enough is just so uh, important to embody in, in the truest sense. And um, I was on a flight to Miami last week and that was something that I needed to do for myself. My calendar was crazy. There was so much going on, but I was like, this is something I have to, I have to do for myself, no matter how many obstacles I have to jump through to get there. Like I need this. And I think that continuing to remind yourself that you are the number one priority, not all of these external things, or you will burn out. You will um, not be able to keep going. So I, I totally agree that prioritizing and and focusing on um, what you need is going to be the most valuable thing versus pedestalizing all the external things. So true. And how do you advise the entrepreneurs that you work with and, and yourself on working through their own mental health? Because there's a real breakdown that can happen when you're the only person responsible for every single responsibility within your company. How do you advise people to keep a hold of their mental health and work on it? It's an ongoing process, but I think also one of the biggest things that I talk about is 
removing this concept that you just need to get here and then everything will be okay. Because as I talked about at the beginning, it's like, it's new levels, new problems, new obstacles, new challenges. And so instead keeping it like, okay, like how can I get to this next point and then always be open to learning and growing and expanding rather than getting destination focused, Mm -hmm. I think is a big part also leveraging the support system. We do a weekly office hours with iPad Women of Color and a, and a member meetup. And our community loves entrepreneurship is such a lonely road. Your friends and family only want to hear your business pitch so many times <laughs> versus other entrepreneurs that are like, oh my God, I love what you did with that. Like, So getting yourself around people who are going through that shared experience, I think is also so, so critical. Um, I think outsourcing as much as you can when you can, but also like understanding how you get there. Mm -hmm. I I think as a tangible example, I think, I think everybody wants to outsource social media. I think that it it can be an absolute beast, but at the end of the day, you have to define the voice there. You have to cultivate the community around it before you can outsource it and let somebody else take it to the next level. And so I think it's like understanding where you need to get to even be able to outsource and understand what you're working towards. I think that's the other biggest piece. It's like, All of these concepts with building a business from networking to building community to building a product. It's like, why are you doing these things and grounding yourself in that? So when you're like, I can't do another LinkedIn post, you're like, no, but once I do this LinkedIn post, it's going to help me get closer to the 10 advisors that I need on my advisory committee. It's, it's, uh, reminding yourself why you're doing it. So you're not getting overwhelmed if like, there's just too much. And then I think it's also just recognizing that you can't do all things. Mm. So those are some of the the things that I coach our entrepreneurs through. And then it's also just like, be honest, like have those, say your fears, say your anxieties to get the validation that you're not alone. Cause we're all feeling that we're all going through that. And I think always getting that validation, we feel so alone in our emotions. We think that everybody else is on Instagram posting and she's out on this trip and, and whatever, whatever, we're all suffering in some way, (laughs) whether how, no matter how um, open we are about it. And I think the more open we are about it, the easier it is to uh, navigate through it, honor those emotions, not shove them down uh, and move through them. So, I mean, you just gave us a incredible Bible of (laughs) mental health tips and also just like tactical tips for entrepreneurs. I'm going to need to like print that out, get a transcript, print it out and put it on my wall. One of my favorite ones you said was basically like, don't get too far away from your brand before you even know what your brand is. Mm, Yep. Because that's such an important one that I think, I think I did that with this podcast. Like I was just like, so over editing, like I was editing every day for two years and then I ended up outsourcing it to someone else and she's amazing, but she's been out the past couple of weeks and I've gotten back into like the thick of things editing. And I'm like, oh, I got too far away from the show. So I think it's like, you know, don't do things that you don't need to do, but maybe every once in a while do the things to make sure they're still happening in a way that's in integrity with the brand. Yes. Integrity. Keyword. Keyword. You also mentioned pitching and that your family can only hear your pitch so many times. (laughs) I love that. Um, What goes into a powerful pitch? Like, are there any keys to every powerful pitch? Absolutely. So we have 
the I Fed Women Method playbook, which has a pitch script template inside of it. It has all of the questions that you need to answer and the order in which you should answer them. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see entrepreneurs make is um, they'll start with, well, five years ago, I was here and I had this problem and, and then I went here and you're a minute in and you don't even know what the business is. So my biggest thing is don't bury the lead. Give them the, the one to two sentence elevator pitch that sets the stage for what it is that you're going to tell them about. And then the other piece is recognize that not everybody who's listening to your pitch understands the problem that you're solving or even knows it exists. So leveraging stats that say... Mm-hmm. only 0.64% of venture capital dollars are even going to Black and Latinx founders. Nobody knows just knows that stat unless they're living in this world, but it, it adds context to the severity uh, of the problem and, and why it matters. And then I would say always having a clear ask, no matter who it is that you're pitching to. Um, and if you're, for example, if you're writing or if you're applying to a grant program, and the grant is $10,000. And at the end, you say, I need $100,000 to be able to do X, Y, Z. Okay, well, we're going to go to somebody who needs this 10K and this 10K would actually have an impact. It's like, you have to adjust your pitch for the context of, of where you're delivering it. And so if you're at a pitch competition and the prize is 20K, speak to exactly how you would use that 20K. Um, the people listening aren't going to do that work. They're not going to be like, okay, well, if she needs 100K, well, with 20K, she could probably get a quarter of that. We're not doing that. Um, so make it easy for people to, to be able to help you you and know exactly what it is that you need. I think those would be some of my biggest tips. And then you also had a great quote in one of your articles. You said, a critical thing is getting comfortable with making the ask. It's not just about putting your head down, grinding it out and working really hard. It's about putting yourself out there and asking people to believe in you. If that feels very foreign to you, how do we get comfortable with making the ask? Yes, I think you... Start with what you know. One of the exercises that I've mentioned a little bit is mapping your network. It's the most tedious thing we ask you to do, but it's also the thing that makes you successful in crowdfunding. And I think that our network is this cerebral thing that just lives in our head. It's very intangible. Mm. We have 10,000 followers on Instagram. What does that really mean? Um, And so putting your pen to paper on your network map gives you the understanding of, okay, where am I really strong in my network versus where am I really weak? and where I can build some uh, and where I'm really strong, who are those people? Are they people who could help me with potential partnerships? Are they people who are in my target audience who maybe they want my product or service? And then go to them and show them how you can add value to them in some way. It's not, hey, if you could support my crowdfunding campaign, I'd really appreciate it. It's, hey, I know last time we talked, you were struggling with social media for your business. Through my crowdfunding campaign, I'm selling these social media packages that I think would be really impactful to you. And also you'd be helping me fund my business and push it forward. I think contextualizing the ask in that way takes the pressure off of you feeling like you're asking for charity or donations. It's like, no, I have a way to add value to you. And in exchange, you'd be helping me out. That's great. It's the same thing we talked about. It's like you're giving someone an opportunity. Exactly. Um, You have a newsletter called The Discomfort Zone that I immediately need to subscribe to. I found out about it from your Instagram, which by the way, Olivia, you're an incredible follow on Instagram. I I want you to post more because I'm just obsessed (laughs) 
like every single post, I was like, this changed my life. And I go to the next one, I'm like, my life is different now. Like they all have so much wisdom and depth to them. So just tell me a little bit about the discomfort zone, what it is, why you started, how we can subscribe. Yes. I started the discomfort zone in June of 2020 um, in the midst of the Black Lives Matter resurgence, I guess, or, or whatever we want to call it. And it was after facilitating really hard conversations with my friends on social media about Black Lives Matter and the riots and, and everything that was happening. Um, and people were really interested to see the ability to have hard conversations in a compassionate, empathetic way. Uh, And that's how I approach all things, because I think one of the things I always say is, I think we have demonized the word ignorance, but in reality, ignorance is just to not know. Um, And so if we can honor that and help somebody know before judging, um, I think it'll help us get a, a lot further And so after doing those, then I launched the discomfort zone to kind of continue that conversation. And it really grew into a space where I give a a question prompt a week and, and it's an opportunity for you to reflect inward. Because I think that if we all took the time to do inner work, we'd all show up in the world (laughs) much better um, because so often the things that we don't like in other people are the things that we don't like in ourselves and we're just projecting. Exactly. (laughs) And it's just like, it all starts from the self. Um, And so the discomfort zone is a newsletter that pops up in your inbox and has a question that maybe might make you feel a little uncomfortable or um, it's something that you haven't necessarily processed in yourself yet. Um, And I always lead from my own experience. I talk you through my reflections on that question, how I've processed it and and share some journal prompts um, on how you can spend some time reflecting on that as well. And then I typically highlight a book that I've been reading, a podcast that I love just to, to share where I'm getting my insights. Cool. I mean, beyond cool. Amazing. I was seeing you do a journal. Um, Is that happening? TBD. Um, One of the things I absolutely, I mean, I love journaling. Um, It's definitely something that I would love to get out there in the future. I think there there are a bunch of different things that I want to do and put out into the world. I I mean, that entrepreneurship bug when you are supporting entrepreneurs, I think only gets stronger. But yeah, I'm constantly testing things out, iterating on it. For now, it's just the newsletter, but stay tuned for more. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm seeing it. I see it. Sometimes (laughs) I see things when people tell me what they're doing. So I don't know. I think it's going to happen if you want it to. Exactly. Okay. So there were a few that you shared on your Instagram that I'd love to talk about. Embracing completion. Mm. Again, this can be one of the hardest things for creatives, for entrepreneurs, for anyone who's going after something in a different way than anyone else ever has. How do we not get stuck in perfectionism or fear and go toward our goals? know what they are um, and be willing to edit them. I think that's so critical. I I mean, the amount of times when I get on a coaching call with somebody and they're like, I hate networking. I hate doing X, Y, Z. And it goes back to that 
understanding why you're doing it. What is the larger impact there? Is networking going to be the catalyst to you being able to support, help hundreds of women overcome college debt? Then like, yeah, let's network. Like that's that's a reason to push through not wanting to do that and, and move forward with it. I think one of the things that we always say at IFN Women is perfect is the enemy of done. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, you just have to get something out there that people can react to and iterate on it. It's funny you say, um, I, I want you to post more like so much of that is like, I don't have the right thing to say yet. You know what I mean? Um, and I think all the things you say are right. It, yes. But that's also a, a product of like only saying something when I really feel like I have something to say, but yeah. a lot of that is overthinking, like what's going to be valuable. I don't think every single thing needs to be the most amazing, impactful thing ever, but like it's out there. Sometimes I feel that way though. And I really relate to you in that because it's like, but I think we're also taught, especially women of color are taught. You have to be perfect all the time yes. because you don't have as many times to screw up, Yep. but let's change that. Yes. Let's give people more grace. Let's leave with compassion. Let's leave with curiosity, you know, and you're building out communities that are, that's the foundation. Exactly. And the more of this kind of work you put out into the world, I feel like the more people you'll have around you like that easily. And, and it's, it's just a a natural attraction. You know what I mean? I think we are so attracted to the people who are showing up authentically and we can see through the things that aren't. And so part of that is honoring the imperfection and showing up imperfectly. And that's what people are attracted to because we are all imperfect. We can relate to that in some way versus the assumption that there will be immediate judgment or criticism. Totally. And just going back to uh, being 30 under 30, <laughs> one of the 30 under 30, that, that must mean you're, you're in your 20s. A little thing that most people don't know, PSA for anyone under 20, your 20s are really effing hard and yes. nobody warns you. They make it seem like it's going to be this free for all great time mm-hmm. where you're finding yourself. <laughs> and really what it is, is you're just getting brutalized over and over and over and over and over again. So there's been a lot of discussion on the show about how people can survive their 20s and really prepare themselves and also give themselves grace for this incredibly difficult growth period of their lives. What would be your advice for 20 somethings listening to this show right now, just trying to get back up again? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's honoring and mourning the loss of identity that happens a couple times in, in between your uh, high school to post-college years. In high school, your identity are the people that you see every day at school. In college, it's typically whatever activity you're a part of. And then you graduate and you're just like, who am I? Like, I used to be an athlete. I used to be a dancer. I used to be in the sorority. And like, now I'm just me like what what and but then I think so quickly work takes on that role and um I think pretty soon after we realize like this job isn't necessarily what I want to do and then that's another loss of identity and then you're just sitting there like what am I doing why am I getting up every day what does this even mean and I think um having grace for yourself through that process and and getting excited about defining what your next identity will be um, is such beautiful fun but hard work if you don't know that's what you're supposed to be doing and then also I mean I think the people you're surrounded by also play a massive role in that I think there's also going to be the morning of friendships and in the loss of identity and so on so I think like honor that it's going to be really hard mourn the loss that's okay. Um, but also get, 
get curious, get excited about what it means to build an identity that's for you, that's grounded in you, um, and nobody can take that from you. So true. So profound. So my final two questions have to do with a little bit of a younger version of yourself. Mm. You're talking about the Olivia that had been trying to figure it out for five months. You took this huge risk on yourself. You moved to New York. You were trying, you didn't have a safety net. You were just going for it and you were about to give up. If you could say one thing to that Olivia with the person you are today, and you're like both standing in the same room, looking at each other, what would you say to her and why? Trust your gut. Nobody has answers. Nobody knows the path. There's not one path. And I think that all you can do is what feels right for you in that moment. There, there was just so much doubt and questioning and just unknown. Um, but everything that I did to get to this point was trusting what felt right. And the more that I do that, the, the easier it's going to be and the more right it's going to be. So it's, it's definitely trust your gut. That's beautiful. And what do you think she would say to you today, seeing everything that you've done? I think she would say you are more than enough and don't forget to create space for joy. Mm. Beautiful, Olivia. Thank you so much for all that you shared, for your heart, your warmth, the incredible work you do out in the world to support women of color and women everywhere. You are an inspiration. You're wise beyond your years. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me and for having such open, vulnerable conversation. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Olivia Owens. For more info on Olivia, follow her at Olivia L. Owens on Instagram. And if you'd like to learn more about iFund Women of Color, check out ifundwomen.com slash W-O-C. Thank you so much to Unleash producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thank you to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag Olivia at Olivia L. Owen so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that you let your identity and the identity of your business or creative project grow and learn and evolve to whatever it needs to be. Let your purpose guide your destination and your definition of success. Never the other way around. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.